I'm here today with Rich Lanchantin. How are you, Rich? I'm great. Thank you for uh, inviting me to this today. No, thank you. Thanks for dialing in all the way from um, the US on the East Coast somewhere. Yep, right outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Nice place. I like Boston. Not not our first guest. We've had quite a few guests from the from the US, actually, uh, mainly the East Coast. So obviously, there's a certain amount of tolerance of my English accent more on the <laughs> East Coast than anywhere else. But um, Rich, you're, you're kind of um, into measuring learning's effectiveness and looking at how we measure ROI on learning investment and that kind of thing. What is it that make, made you most interested in that subject, make that the subject you wanted to talk about today? Sure. Well, I personally have been uh, involved in training. I was a teacher when my younger days when I first got out of uh, college and then I got into corporate software. But in in my career, I have been both a corporate trainer and in field sales organizations. So training and getting information out has always been um, something I've been involved with and something I've been passionate about. So QStream is uh, a software product, micro learning solution uh, that engages learners, looks at knowledge reinforcement for critical information and is it's designed to have an analytics uh, to show increases of proficiency and matching it to employee performance. So I think it's uh, right in line with the title of what we wanted to talk about today. So that's part of that product is that it's built in this, I suppose, evaluation tool. Yes. I mean, it was really interesting because it was designed by, it was a surgeon at Harvard Medical School. Yeah. and And he's one of these unusual characters that while he was going through medical school, he also got his master's degree in education. So he combined both aspects of that. He became very familiar with the forgetting curve and techniques for knowledge reinforcement for, you know, long-term retention of, you know, critical information. So he designed it then to do research where he could capture proficiency levels and then correlate that back to performance of medical residents. And since then, you know, to nurses, doctors, that was the original design. Um, And then the software itself was uh, recognized as being, wow, this is a great tool we can use in the business world. So it took off in uh, the business world, particularly in commercial sales. Right, that's a really interesting uh, start because I think you know, obviously measuring performance and monitoring well, performance and these things in medical profession is is a, a lot more critical than in most of our businesses. So it's a very interesting place to start, I think. Yeah, I mean, if you, if but if you look at the leap from there to the business world, I mean, there are so many use cases. Um, I mean, one of the spots was pharmaceutical sales because the sales reps have a very limited time to talk to doctors and the drugs are becoming much more complex as time goes on. So what they say about that drug is very important and it can be complex. But then you, you go from that world, which sounds very scientific, to you could go to machinery, which is also very complex, robotics and 
you know, safety of workers in operating that machine. Um, you can, I mean, we have a lot of financial services insurance companies where uh, I think they're forward-thinking learners understand of all the information, there are certain critical parts that they're concentrating on. They have certain objectives, you know, for that particular, the next three, six months calendar year, and they really want to turn the dial, right? They really want to make sure people understand this very important set of information. I mean, you're talking mainly about sales here, and that feels like sales has quite good measures in place because it's kind of cash driven or sales driven number of sales money generated or whatever so it's quite financial is that where most of your measures come from are they mainly financial measures not all uh some other examples of non uh financial ones would be well there's a whole bunch of them with um doctors and hospitals and patient safety, but there's also ones in customer service with customer linking proficiency of customer service reps to NPS or customer satisfaction scores. Uh, there's one in particular insurance company where they code the information from a patient to the insurance, and that code is critical. If you miscode it, you know, for example, I go in and I have the flu, Do I? you could code it as an antiviral drug, or if they miscode it and it's a hip replacement, the financial implications uh, are very, can be very large. Um, worker safety is, is another one. So you can correlate it directly with a you know, number of incidents on the shop floor would be another example. Uh, so, so they go on and on. I think customer satisfaction patient safety, any time you submit anything for diversity, inclusion, sexual harassment, you could measure, you know, uh, submissions of complaints. So pretty much any, anything that can get measured, you can use. So, so we have, uh, you know, over 600 customers using it, and the use cases are, are very, very interesting. I get lost in them sometimes. We have a big database with questions from all these customers and I just love going through and and reading their questions and looking at what the objectives of their particular learning program are. I was going to say about the objectives because you, all the examples you gave then, well, I suppose they could be included in an objective, but they were all performance related. They weren't related to how much people learned. It was how that impacted various aspects of performance. Is that deliberate? Well, yes. I mean, they're they're linking... So the interesting thing is, you know, even when I first started, it's it's like, okay, you're a training program, you give a test, it's like, you know, sort of facts and figures, but then there's the aspect of behavior change. Because now I know this information, or I've gone through a set of like 10 scenarios where I had to use critical thinking, and it runs over time, you know, 10 weeks. So, so now they're embedded. So I know those 10 common scenarios. Does it actually change the people's behavior, right? So that's, that's the real power, right? That's the holy grail, that I think, that every teacher yeah, is absolutely. looking for. Yeah, The hardest one to measure, though, isn't it? Yeah, so you have to, exactly. You would have to think through, begin with the end in mind is 
what is the objective of your training program? Who, you know, who are the stakeholders? Who, what are the objectives of the, that particular business? You know, in sales, obviously it's revenue, but I could give, if you want to delve into that, that's a very macro level one. I mean, you could dissect that into four reps in their sales methodology. There's a very specific methodology that salespeople will follow from getting a lead to discovery phase to qualification to negotiation is looking at each one of those phases and looking at the proficiency of the reps and then seeing where are their deals like are they a very big problem in sales is lead comes in and a rep keeps it in discovery and then there's this kind of lack of visibility through the management training. Well, we have this big chunk of money and it's all in the discovery, the very beginning part of the, what they would call the sales pipeline. So we need, you know, typical sales meetings. I've been to thousands of them. How do we move, you know, how do we move through the pipeline, get these deals through the pipeline? And if you tease through that and look at it is, well, what's the proficiency of the rep to actually move it from one phase to the other? Do they really understand all the sales methods involved there? So that's, you could just, we had one um, company just look at movement from the discovery phase to the qualification phase. So it's non-revenue, but it's more about the process right? The sales process involved. Uh, and that was the, the major objective of their particular um, QStream module. Well, that, that's the point. I think you really hit on a, the key point here, because if you spend the time doing that, really mapping out what the process is and how, in this case, the example of a sale and working through the pipeline, through discovery, etc., if you spend your time working out what that is and what are the behaviors that add value at each stage and move you from one stage to the next then the rest of it kind of flows and becomes fairly easy. I, th I mean, well, easy, that's probably a bit, a bit flippant. But I think a lot of the problems when it comes to measures come from the fact that people don't do that work up front. They just come out with some kind of learning objectives. They're, so they're divorced from the actual job and they're not connected to the, the specific behaviours that you need at each phase. And I think that's where you kind of sow the problems in from the beginning unless you do this kind of level of, a level of research up front, research, level of analysis up front. Yes. And, you know, you look at some of the uh, one report I looked at recently said that, you know, only 61 percent of L&D professionals meet with business stakeholders to discuss objectives, you know, those kinds of uh, stats, which, you know, it's not to be judgmental. I certainly remember when I was a corporate trainer and I, and I think it's kind of co a common sense and human nature. When I was a corporate trainer and there's a new product that's introduced, I'm spending a lot of time myself just trying to understand the product, especially if it's a complex one. And, and there is just this tendency to want to know everything about that product. And once you know every, everything about that product, you want to then shine the light about that product, everything about that product. So you know, the typical, not typical, but very common, or at least, you know, in my early years, it was you fly everybody in, they, they sit in a classroom for a number of days, you take them through PowerPoint, you no know, death by PowerPoint, 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 about everything about that particular product. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until I was a sales rep 
or a sales manager for a number of years and, you know, matured as far as my business acumen to understand more about, okay, you know, there's this big investment to fly everybody in. What are we going to get for this? Right. So at some point, the especially the person holding the budget is, oh, I got to fly everyone in and I just know that line item is going to hit and it may be hundreds of thousands of dollars if it's a big sales force. And you're thinking through, is this really going to move the needle on, uh, on, on our business? And, and that's a, those are the questions that people aren't always asking themselves when they're setting up learning and learning programs. You said something earlier, I just want to go back to, because you were talking about the different measures that people could use. And you gave lots of great examples there. And you said pretty much anything that's measurable is a, it could be used potentially. But how do you know you're measuring the right thing? Because if you're measuring the wrong thing, you could be doing damage. You could be measuring something that's irrelevant, something that just the people just can't control. And you're measuring it just because it's countable. Was a lot of the time the impact you're having isn't a countable, measurable thing in that in that objective sense. So how do you make how do you make sure you're measuring what's the right thing rather than just what's measurable? I think that's a great question. That's it. We could do a whole probably a whole podcast on that. And especially, um, it seems I don't know, how how many years and KPIs right when KPIs hit critical performance indicators. And I've worked for big corporations, and there was a tendency to KPIs, and people tend to always want more data, right, not less data, until it seems like the metrics and KPIs are just continue to grow and grow and grow. And uh, as a manager, certainly, you know, in my middle management days, that all comes down to how much of my time is spent measuring the thing versus trying to uh, affect the thing, you know? So certainly something you need to be aware of. I mean, I have always tried to come back to common sense, which is go, go out and speak to the business owner. I mean, the people that do it, right? So the people that are on the shop floor, the, the first level you know, managers on the shop floor, the people that are there that deal with the issues that really can affect the change is spend time with them uh, to understand, you know, what the issues are, what they're looking for. And, and that's, you know, I think you always got to come back to kind of common sense. You know, why am I doing this? What do the people want from it? How can we change the business? That That, that is which may be more qualitative is as important as uh, sometimes the measures themselves, right? Just because you have a finance department producing certain numbers doesn't mean that 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 is it, right? I think you really have to get the the green light. The the deeper you understand the business, right, and the business process and, and that, you know, the better off you are. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Would would I think that's actually the, the most important point is what is the valuable thing for them to get out of it? But ha- again, just how do we measure that? Or do we measure that? Are you saying it's we don't measure it? Let, uh, let, let's, let's land this in an example. That would be easier, I think. Um, let me throw an example at you. Sure. A, f- a fairly straightforward example would be, let's say, a management development program. If an organization wants a management development program, 
because their line managers aren't very well supported. They're you know kind of feeling their way a little bit, and they want to improve line management. How are you going to go about defining what are the right measures for that program? Well, I think you could first start with if you want to improve it, there's a feeling that things aren't being done right. So where they're not being done right, let's get all those examples down. So actually, this is one instructional designer at a very large company said the way they approached it is they would get the subject matter experts and the business owners in a room and they would whiteboard and they would do this session. Okay, what what are, here are the subject matter experts would be like, here are the key things. And the business owners would be, these are the areas that would impact the business the most. And through that process, it's a constant Pareto, right? Which is what are the, right? It's a prioritization of that and then a linking of that to what are the top things that are gonna have the biggest impact? And then they come out of that with the 80-20 rule, right? Which is what's the 20% of this, which is gonna have 80% of the impact. So in management, is it, is it leadership? Is it, uh, is it something around incidents being reported by employees? Is it uh, employee satisfaction? And if it's employee satisfaction, what, let's tease through that data. And let's Pareto that and see what it is. And then let's look at where the improvements have to happen and what's the information that people have to know, right? Or that's not known. But again, just coming back, how would you measure, let's say, if it's something? I'm sorry, I'm really pinning you down here, Rich. <laughs> um, well, this is a bit unfair of me to throw you in the spot here. But I'm just thinking of, I mean, something like, uh, like a management development program. There might not necessarily be a specific problem like we're seeing poor turnover or we're seeing high rates of complaints or something. It could just be we're trying to do management better. We're trying to do yearly appraisals much better than we've been doing them. It's just not something we focused on and the world says this is a good thing to do. So you're not necessarily solving a specific problem that has a certain amount of evidence. Is there, And the behaviors you want to see are not you're not going to see necessarily sales going up or something as clearly countable as that. But what you might see are, well, what you would hope to see would be things like, you know, better management leading to better engagement, better motivation, and those kind of soft measures. Well, any of them. So engagement would be, what are they not engaging in? uh, If it's they're not using their CRM tool in sales, I mean, you you could measure people's, proficiency in using that tool to its usage. Uh, you could look at after you did the Pareto and and said you nailed this 20%, it's going to have an impact on what? On, on whatever X is. So is it uh, employee satisfaction survey? Is it is it say it's a customer service group and it's the management of that customer service group? If, imp- if proficiency goes up with that service group, does customer satisfaction, either employee satisfaction or their customer satisfaction for that group go up? I, I mean, I think there are actually a number, getting, going back to KPIs, there's, there's lots of KPIs in organizations 
uh, I think it is picking the ones that people use and kind of trust and the managers feel like, yeah, those are, those are a good indicator. You know, you know, one thing I love about this, the reason I really like talking about this, I think if you can find the right measures and find a way to measure them in a way that's not, it doesn't become a huge overhead. I think that's a, just such a satisfying thing to, to achieve. No question. Do, no, do you know what yeah, I mean? No question. No question about it. And I think one of the key things you said there is overhead, right? Is, is the real elegance, if you can do it. Is, yes. So it's right. Is that you're getting the impact, but you're not putting another layer of uh, overhead on the organization. Absolutely. Yeah, I love the word elegance there. And I think if you get that elegant measure that's measuring the right thing, that's not adding costs or bureaucracy or overhead, do you, do you have an example of where you think you've got that close? I guess there's never the perfect example, but do you have something where you're quite proud of, where you really kind of nailed down a, a measure that was perhaps a bit unexpected, but really kind of met, ticked those boxes? Well, let me pull one out to go back again to the original design of the product and i i think what is really interesting is price did you know as a professor you have to publish right publish or perish so he did a number of randomized clinical trials which some of them were very expensive to set up and one of them i thought was fascinating was there was a change in the guidelines for doing um, cancer screening for prostate cancer. So you would think that, okay, change in the, in the guidelines for doing this. So one group was given the guideline, the new guidelines, the PDFs that they read, okay, here are the new guidelines. You would think doctors with all their education would read that and, okay, adhere to these new guidelines and go ahead now with the new cancer screening protocols. Yeah, of course. But, yeah, but he discovered that the cohort that went through a QStream program, and the QStream program was not just reading the information, it was being asked scenario-based questions with different patient types over a 10-week period of time, that that group had a 40% increase in adherence to the guidelines so there you have just, I mean, an, an incredible measure. And it's not only financial cost savings, but now you're talking about using the right cancer screening technique. So it's actually the patient's health themselves. So it, uh, it, it just showed that the group was more proficient with QStream adhered to that. I think that was just a really, really interesting. And, and he went on to then publish... I think there's 22. They're not all his. I think he's got 12 or something. But there's 22 randomized clinical trials uh, showing that this increase in proficiency then leads to behavior change. That's. A, I mean, it's a very dramatic example, which is great because you know, as you say, you're potentially saving lives with that. And I think this this leads on to another thing that I want to talk about, which I'll talk about in a second, which is the measures themselves can become tools of retention, tools of engagement, and uh, tools of implementation, improving improving implementation of learning, if you get that measure right. But I just wanted to ask you, just before we move on to talking about that, do you have an example of where you've really got a measure wrong and it kind of had a bad effect? Oh, that's a really good question. 
Wow, I focus, I focus, <laughs> I focus so much on the, on the, uh, huh? That's a really good question. I don't go around asking, asking where has this failed. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's interesting is we really get a high. When we do our NPS score, you know, our customer sat to the people that run these in corporations, we get a very high score, like 65, where, which is, you know, an excellent score. A lot of LMS, I think, is at negative 11. So, yeah, that sounds I quite generous to most LMSs. I know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I try and talk to as many customers about how they use the product as possible. And I haven't had any say, I don't have a lot that say, hey, we ran this and yeah, we're not, you know, we're not sure what it did right. or, yeah. No, I was just thinking, I mean, I notice measures, if you get them wrong, they do have a negative impact. And there was one I noticed the other day when I was, I was coming back through Madrid airport and they were tracking when the first bag gets onto the carousel. So that must have been their measure because every carousel had one bag on it. Because so every carousel had a really good score for first bag. Right, 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 but right. But then you had like, you know, 10,000 customers waiting around for their bags. So they must, at some point, since I complained about this, I sent a, I sent a tweet, I think, saying how this was a terrible measure. So somebody must have been watching my Twitter feed because now they track the last bag and suddenly it works much better. But yeah. I just thought it was a really neat example of just the wrong measure gives you exactly the wrong impact. And customer, you know, customer satisfaction must have plummeted when they were tracking the first bag. It must have, you know, risen when they were tracking the last bag. That's a really good. That's a really good example. Uh, and I think it's also an example of if you, you know, if you really get completely drilled into the metrics, and especially if you have some type of financial award associated with it, then you get into the whole issue of gaming that particular system right um, yeah exactly yeah yeah and the and the the spirit of this so when you talk to dr price kerfoot who designed this he was always had the spirit of this was one of learning like even if we had a leaderboard so like there could be a leaderboard so who's whose top is to anonymize it or to put it in groups or it's teamwork, or it's always been in the spirit of learning and let's get better at what we do as professionals versus let me ask you a series of questions associated with a metric and then apply some type of financial award. You know what I mean? It, it's always yeah. been in the spirit of let's make it better, let's, let's learn. And I, and I think that part of the culture of learning is is very very important, and and I think that that's like job one, right? And not to like get so maniacally focused on on the just the numbers themselves. No, I think you're right. And if you design this up front, as you said at the beginning, or if you do that analysis at the beginning, get to know the job, get to understand what what the point of this in, investment in learning is all about, then you will find out what measures they care about. Because I think that's the other point is they've got to care about them. You can't just go in with a few numbers to say, oh, look how many bums on seats we got. They love the catering. Um, they don't care about that. Exactly. Exactly. And that's um, in, the, in these tools or in the tool, I think the social aspect of it in, in that you will, the learners are engaged and they can 
give feedback comments is really is very important. So in real time, if I'm getting questions or getting scenarios and I don't agree or it's somewhat confusing, the ability to add comments in there is very, very important. And I think it's important, it's really important feedback back to the instructional designers to, to look at a, a particular question. Uh, you know, that's, that's another aspect of the program that's really, really important. Before when you were talking about the prostate cancer ex- example, you said about how the pro- you got much better scores of people implementing the uh, the new guidelines, mm-hmm. and I was just interested to know measures themselves can become tools of retention and tools of engagement. Just the act of measuring can get us into that virtuous circle of what you measure improves retention, improves engagement. Is there some kind of knock-on effect from one to the other? I think you know from an early age. Once you enter school, school or sports, or you want to perform at your your given task, so you're looking for feedback. And if you can provide that feedback, I, I mean, part of the the issue in especially big corporations, or if your manager is remote, or your manage you don't talk to your manager a lot. I'm sure a lot of employees, you're a little unclear how you're doing. So you know, to have something you can perform at, right, then you'll engage in and it gives you a sense of, uh, a sense of satisfaction. And with a cue stream is the, the question or scenario will keep coming back to you. So it's not that you got it wrong, program is over. In fact, it's designed to have some desirable difficulty. So we, you're almost encouraged to get it wrong. So you'll read the explanation. So lots of times the explanation will be the biggest part of the question or the scenario. And then it comes back at you again, right? And it'll it'll come back to you in a cadence where you'll get it twice over a period of time before it'll retire that question. So again, it's not uh, like a pop quiz and you're judged as right or wrong. It's a process and it's almost like a practice session. And you know, you practice something, practice something, desirable difficulty, you get it right, there's that inherent satisfaction that you get for 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 performing. That's a really good example. I, I liked your, uh, especially you started your example there about the sport thing. It's, it's a really good point because I remember I just always assumed that I was terrible at football and the day I scored a goal was the day I realized, oh, maybe I can do this. So I tried harder and I scored another goal and... Before I knew it, I mean, I'm not good. I'm, football, I mean soccer in, in your language. Yeah, sure. But I was, I was, um, I said I had never been very good or anything. But as soon as I started actually scoring the odd goal, I thought, well, I'm not useless. And I found that immediately I was applying more effort. And again, you get better. You then score another goal or whatever. Um, and it was just getting that feedback, getting that score, getting that measure that I found increased my engagement and therefore increased my effort. So it's a really nice example yes, getting I- that feedback. Yeah, and I think in a, in the business world too. The nice thing about sports is you have kind of an immediate feedback. It's in a certain time. You know, in the business world, if you have a long sales cycle or you're working on a business problem where you're doing something, you may not see the results for 180 or even a year, 360 days. Like, what are all the other things in between that lets you know you're on the right track? Uh, so it's not for a sales, for example, a sales rep, just the revenue. 
at the end of the day versus as I'm going along this path, am I doing all these other things correctly? And I'm getting feedback on them and I don't, you know, kind of feel lost and in uh, six months when the average sales cycle is a year for a complex sale. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes the outcome isn't necessarily that clear where it came from. It's not, there's so many different moving parts that these things aren't always that clear that, you know, action X led to outcome Y or whatever. Right. Here's another example that I think is really interesting with the, the QStream program is, you know, because it's only the way the program works is you're given two or three questions every other day. So it's a small amount of time, five minutes, 10 minutes, you know, it's, it's within the flow of work. So it's almost indefensible not to do it because it's not a big heavy load. I mean, you can understand the complaints if I have to sit in a room all day, but why wouldn't I answer, you know, for a, critical product, why wouldn't I spend that five minutes a day? Just the who's engaging and who's not engaging is really interesting for managers. And it can be, and we've seen it because we run, run them here, is why isn't an employee engaging? And it leads to a conversation. You ask them and there may be some underlying issue there that's going on. So it's a really almost a very simple one, right? is why aren't you engaging in, in the particular exercise? Um, do, you, do you measure engagement? Sh well, sure, you get a report in real, well, in real time, a manager can go in and see who on their team is answering questions, putting in comments, you know, and who's not. So you can, uh, the tool set up so the manager can then send an email or set up a meeting and, and you know, get at the issue right away. Well, I mean, that's another good example of where measuring engagement can reinforce the positive behaviors that lead to engagement. Exactly, exactly. People and people will see and that and they'll, they'll, want a, they'll want a better score probably and so therefore they'll do the behaviors. And it, it goes back to the original, Price's original design. It was, and his, you know, getting his master's degree or his interest in education is how do we get people to learn in a positive, in a positive way? So the, really the whole spirit of it is around, is around that. Yeah, I guess the second you actually start scoring things and putting and making that visible to people, you're bringing in all the positives around gamification because you're, you're kind of making it into a game because they can take action to influence a, a number and therefore get a better score or whatever. So it's, you can sort of harness measures if you do it elegantly to come back to that great word. You can actually harness gamification to really kind of get that virtuous circle flowing. Here's, the, you know, here's another example that I thought was really interesting. We ran a QStream internally on GDPR. So when GDPR first came out, uh, we had uh, our compliance people write up a QStream on that and ran it for 10 weeks. And I noticed in our lunchroom, you know, typically when you walk into a corporate lunchroom, you're sitting there and here in Boston, there'd be talk about the Boston Red Sox or the... New England Patriots or, you know, some conversation, the traffic, but you're sitting in the corporate lunchroom and people are talking about the GDPR questions. And I was wow. like, yeah, I was like, wow, <laughs> you know, because it, it's the QStream was run as a group. So it became top of mind. And there were like a lot of, you know, jokes and stuff around, you know, 
you know, people were taking it in a lighthearted manner, but they were talking about GDPR. And I was like, that was, that's a really interesting phenomena. Yeah. Yeah. If you can get people to voluntarily, you know, just be talking because it's interesting to them, that's great. And I think that's a way of harnessing that. You're getting that kind of the fun side of the game. You're getting the, you know, when, when you get that stuff right, it, it does stack up and the things reinforce each other and you get the behaviors you want. I mean, when I first started, I was like, ah, oh, reinforcement, okay, like flashcards or something you just, but it's, um, the instructional designers use scenario-based questions and, and they set it up with the right desirable difficulty. It's really a very interesting, really a very interesting process. And it is just kind of fascinating to me how, because it runs over a period in time, how much more that that subject embeds itself. You know, it's, it's, it really, it's, I know it's been written about the forgetting curve and that, but it's, it's amazing how it works and how it embeds itself. Yeah. Just so. doing it over time, that repetition, the, the, the those techniques, which are fairly simple, really. Yeah, the, exactly. The impact they have is enormous. It's They're, completely yeah. game changing. It is. It's, it's almost like common sense and you're kind of, yes, I sort of understand it. And, but you know, being able to do it in an elegant way where it's not going to take a lot of time and doing it in the spirit of learning and practice, it, it can really be a powerful thing in uh, changing people's behavior. So for me, it's really, it's been fascinating in my career to, you know, be involved in corporate training and learning and sales groups and, you know, having very large sales organizations and trying to get everybody up to speed and on the same page, it's been uh, really a fulfilling experience. So it's great. I, lo- I love talking about it. Yeah, me too. And, and thanks very much for this conversation, Rich. It's been really interesting to kind of hear about how you have sort of harnessed the technology to get more learning engagement, learning retention and get those measures right. So you're actually providing useful and important, valuable measures back to the people that are investing the money. And it's not just financial measures. You're looking for other behavioral measures, which actually do add value. So thanks very much for this conversation. It's been really interesting. And if people want to learn more about QStream and that, they can click the links on the Trainer Tools website or just search for QStream. It's fairly easy to find because there aren't many places called QStream. Let's cue the letter and then stream the word. Great, John. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you.